Hello, Duncan Green here on From Poverty to Power. And I've got with me Gilbert Makure, who is Oxfam's East Africa Regional Advisor on Extractive Industries. So that's mining, oil and gas. Um, and we had a really interesting chat yesterday, and he was telling us all about some of the work, so I thought I'd get him on a microphone for yeah. a few minutes before yeah. we all head off and do our day's work. So welcome, Gilbert. Uh, thanks, Duncan. I'm excited to be on the podcast, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So give me a little bit of background. So how did you end up in this job? What's your training? Yeah, so, I mean, I studied uh, sociology yeah, in university and development studies at uh, postgraduate level. Um, and then I started off working uh, for an audit firm, Ernst uh, <laughs> uh, & Young, but I uh, didn't really enjoy it that much, so I only spent a year there uh, and then moved to a local environmental organization. It's a, it was a public interest environmental law organization called the Zimbabwe Environmental Law Association. So from there, I've just moved on and uh, worked on mining oil and gas uh, for the last uh, pretty much 10 years. Yeah. And are you from Zimbabwe? Yeah, I'm okay. from Zimbabwe, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. yeah. So um, all you people thinking about jobs in the aid sector, <laughs> audit firm and then get out before you get used to the money, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right, brilliant. Um, so I'm just going to pick up on some of the things you were talking about yesterday. Mm -hmm. One of them was that East Africa is this really interesting chance to get it right. And I wanted you to just talk a bit about what's going on there as a region. Yeah. Um, so the region sits at a very exciting point. Um, exciting because, you know, it's, I would say that it's one of the frontier um, uh, or emerging rather uh, oil producers um, uh, in, in, in the world. Uh, oil producers, not, you know, petroleum, sorry, petroleum producers, not just in terms of oil, but also in terms of gas. So significant gas resources in Tanzania, uh, quite significant oil resources uh, in, uh, in Uganda, not so much in Kenya, but still um, the revenues would obviously have you know, a big impact at, at sub-national level. Um, so the opportunity that, that exists is obviously to get things right. Normally when you uh, work, or at least in my experience, when you're working in the sector, you're coming in decades after you know mines have have started uh, and production is is well well underway. Uh, so you're basically trying to correct things that were not done well at the beginning. So in, this could be in terms of you know environmental impact, social impacts, and so on and so forth. So for East Africa, uh, none of these countries is has shipped out its first barrel of oil. Uh, so there is an opportunity to put in place the, the right legal framework. There's an opportunity to ensure that you know communities are properly consulted, fully consulted. Uh, there's an opportunity to ensure that you know the governments get the full share and fair benefit from from their resources. So uh, it's an exciting opportunity, um, uh, but this is not to say that it's it's easy. Uh, it's obviously going to be difficult, and that we're already seeing some of those uh, difficulties um, uh, in the region. But yeah, uh, it offers a unique, uh, opportunity and, uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to work with different, you know, actors to capitalize on that. So one of the, thanks, that's, 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 that's quite an exciting sort of view of the region. And yeah. one of the things you were talking about yesterday was cost audits. Mm -hmm. So I know that, yeah, usually you audit what people spend. Yeah. So what's the point of auditing what a company, uh, spend costs? Yeah. Yeah, so, well, this is standard practice in the, in the oil sector. So what happens is because the sector is highly capital intensive, so for most of the resources, you're pro pro you can possibly even put up to, you know, three to five billion dollars um, before you start, you know, production. 
So the arrangement, contractual arrangements are such that you, you, you put in the money because it's high risk. You put in the money and then you are able to recoup uh, the money once production starts. Um, so government has an interest in, in, in doing effective cost audits. So basically you are trying to ensure that whatever companies say they have spent is actually what they have spent and what you have agreed they would spend. Is this because they can write it off against tax or how does the recouping work? Yeah, so, so the recouping works, so when they sell the oil, <clears throat> basically before you share the profits, they first take their, their share of the costs. Ah, okay. uh, so before you share the profits, um, they first take whatever is owed to them because they put it, they've sunk this investment you know, in the ground. Um, so the, the, the governments have an interest, of course, in, in ensuring that uh, they, they effectively cost audit. If you don't do that, uh, and there are many examples where companies can inflate costs, uh, can misallocate costs, can um, uh, you know, uh, take costs from one field that is not producing, uh, or that was a failure in terms of you know, getting an oil reserve to one that is producing. So there's some incentive for companies to um, you know, inflate costs. Uh, and uh, this so is obviously money that's lost for, for, for the government. So yes. this is your Ernst & Young background coming through here, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and what you, we seem to be doing stuff at national level and stuff at local level. Mm -hmm. So maybe tell us a little bit about the local work as well. Yeah, so I mean, I would, I would say that, you know, the work kind of straddles, you know, two ends. So one is more of the, the revenue side. So how do you secure uh, the revenue that you know, governments and of course you know, ultimately hopefully the citizens actually get from the oil resources? And the other side is the social uh, and environmental uh, side of things. So when you talk to companies, uh, international oil companies, they will tell you that uh, uh, normally they are not worried about the technical aspects of you know uh, either petroleum production or mining uh, they've got that on lock especially the big the big companies or the oil majors for example because they've done projects all around you know all, all across the world really uh, so they have that experience the things that they struggle with are more the social performance issues uh, so consultation uh, because they have no experience in that really um, uh, so at community level or sub-national level uh, our focus is largely uh, around those issues. So how do you ensure that um, environmental social impact assessments, for example, which are an amazing tool, but have largely been a tick boxing, tick, tick boxing you know, kind of uh, exercise where it's largely copy and paste and the documents are too voluminous. Uh, governments just don't have enough capacity to uh, thoroughly interrogate these communities are hardly consulted in the process. So how do you leverage a process such as an uh, environmental social impact assessment process to ensure that uh, you mitigate whatever you know inv potential environmental impacts could could arise. Um, we're also working to ensure that you know broader broader human rights um, at community level are are secured. So the extractive sector is 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 quite water intensive, and uh, I would say you know also generally just inherently uh, destructive of the environment. Um, so where communities, you know, I was giving the example of Trukana yesterday, where the area is quite dry, uh, there are already water challenges, and uh, the companies need a lot of water to uh, put down in the ground. So how you get the oils, you put pressure, you put water, 
um, it's such high pressure such that you force the oil out. So they need a lot of water. The communities are already struggling with the water that's there. So how do you manage that potential uh, conflict? How do you get um, the best deal for the community? So best practice now is is that uh, com companies sign uh, what are called, you know, uh, uh, company community agreements with uh, with uh, communities to say, you know, we are coming in the area, uh, we will deliver, you know, whatever social um, uh, economic benefits, and the, you know, the list is out, uh, and then the communities often will then say, you know, so we agree, and as part of this agreement, we will list this land out to you, um, but normally the com communities do not have sufficient legal. Uh, advice uh, or support during that you know negotiation process. Uh, so those are some of the things we're working with. And maybe I could just add the last one on uh, this concept on, on free prior informed consent. Um, uh, again, an emerging standard, uh, pretty much uh, best practice for uh, the oil majors, um, uh, international banks like uh, you know the IFC, uh, IFI, sorry, like I, the IFC. Uh, recognize that if you're going to go into a community and there are indigenous people in the area, you need to get uh, consent to actually move ahead with the project. So the consent doesn't necessarily come from you getting a license at national government level, but that has to come from the community. Uh, so how do you go through a process of uh, uh, having an informed, you know, consultative process uh, that's no, you know, that's free from coercion, free from bribery, and so on and so forth, and get communities to either consent uh, or, or not consent to, to, to a project. So those are some of the things we are working uh, on at, at sub-national level. Brilliant. Yeah. So let, let's test a few of those things. Okay. Okay. I like to yeah, dig yeah, into yeah, the, yeah, the shades of grey. Yeah. So first of all, um, consent by whom? So yeah, I've seen in many cases mm -hmm. that companies are very good at picking off the leaders yeah. and getting their consent yeah. and then steamrollering the rest of the community. Do you yeah. see that kind of thing? I mean, do you trust the companies? I just want to, because that, that was a lovely theoretical, yeah, yeah, you know, statement. Yeah, 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 What's it yeah, like in yeah. practice? Um, it's messy. Yeah, it's really messy. Um, and one of the things, as you <laughs> rightly put, uh, um, is representation. So who speaks on behalf of the community? Um, normally, you know, if you go into uh, and my experience is largely in Africa. So if you go to African, most African communities, um, you'd find that you know they would have some structure that's there, particularly if they're an indigenous community. Uh, but best practice in relation to FPIC is that, so even if you talk to community leaders um, or there is a third party involved, you still have a responsibility to take supplemental actions uh, to ensure that the process is consultative. So that means that... Um, so you have to worry about the internal democracy of the community? Yes, you need to. So you need to make sure that whatever information you are relaying to, uh, say, community leaders or a community elder, uh, that there is a feedback process. Uh, you have to facilitate that feedback process. Uh, but it's not easy uh, because, you know, there are obviously local polit political dynamics that come with that. But it's a, it's, the responsibility lies with the, with the, with the company. Um, and, of course... So to get consent is 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 difficult uh, because you know mining often happens in far flung uh, communities that often haven't seen any development or haven't had any engagement with the with the sector as complex as uh, say 
you know, in oil and gas or, or, or hard drop mining. So what happens is that um, the process can be quite lengthy. And that poses a challenge for companies who would want to quickly, you know... And what, if the, what if the community doesn't agree with itself? What yeah. if it's divided? What happens yeah. then? Yeah. So... What if you have a Brexit moment? <laughs> Uh, I think you'd have to go with what the majority of the community uh, says. Uh, but but that means you have to have a vote. Right? <laughs> Does that happen? Really? No. So I've not I've not seen uh, where you know a community is like you know so so uh, divided right in the middle where you know there's a that kind of stalemate. Okay. Uh, but what what I've seen happen is you'd obviously have dissenting voices. Uh, on either side, you know. So, for example, some communities would want a project to go ahead, and others would not want. Uh, so there's that division, yes. But you would find that the majority sits on either side of the fence. So it's either yes or uh, or, or no. Um, but like I said, the process is 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 quite messy. But what what that helps um, do is is I think untangle a sector that can be quite uh, opaque, uh, a sector that can be uh, quite complex as well uh, for a community. So at least, even if the process is quite difficult, if you go through a process of providing all the information, uh, of providing as much, you know, you know, access, I would call them access rights, so access to information, access to participation, access to justice, you create those conditions for effective consultation. At the very least, what you're doing is, uh, you know, in mining companies call, it, call this the social license to operate. At least you know that once you start your project, um, there is People the general be sabotaging the machinery yeah. and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> I'm, I've got various things, and I don't want to overrun too much. <laughs> yeah. But what if? So, my wife once visited a, a, a small indigenous community in Brazil where a hundred people uh-huh. were blocking uh, a reservoir which would have supplied millions of people in Sao Paulo with water. Uh-huh. So, to what extent do you? How can you balance the the desires of a community with the desires of the wider community. Does that mm-hmm. ever come up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does. Um, pretty much with uh, even, you know, oil projects, uh, it does. Because what, what even when the community is not indigenous um, and you're going through a consultation process and possibly the community, the small community could argue that, you know, we're not interested in the, in the oil project going ahead, but the rest of the citizen refuse that if the oil comes out of the ground, we'll be able to, you know... Um, Have schools uh, and hospitals. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. what do you do with that? Yeah. Um, Who wins? So the law has to define what happens. Um, but to be honest, it's a political process. Uh, it's a, it, it, at a certain level, the issues then transcend, you know, uh, a very legal kind of process or legal definition. So it then moves to a political process. So um, can the leaders essentially violate... Uh, the rights of the hundred, where the law expressly states that these hundred can uh, consent or not consent. So, so uh, where you know leaders have political leaders, uh, government leaders have a lot of you know political power and sway. Um, they can get away with you know ignoring. Uh, the, the 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 rights of this this few that I define in the constitution, um, uh, or in you know various pieces of legislation, uh, for what quote unquote may be uh, 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 public good or you know national uh, for national interest. Um, 
Yeah, so that 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 can happen. More messiness. Uh, it's, it's it's it can be it can be quite messy. Okay. Yeah. So in all this, so in comes Oxfam. I mean, mm. okay, you're African, but you're yeah, from a different part yeah, of Africa. Yeah. yeah. Um, why do, do people? People, decision makers, companies, government people, do they say, great, Oxfam, come on in? Or do they say, oh, blimey, here you are again, meddling? I mean, what's, how does it feel? I think, I think it varies. Um, the big companies, certainly, some of them recognize uh, the work that we do uh, and the value of the work that we do. Because, like I said, you know, at the beginning, that these are the parts that they struggle with. The they social license to operate. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. are the parts that they struggle with. Um, they may disagree, of course, with some of our strategies uh, and so on and so forth. But we found that increasingly, these um, big companies, uh, the well-established companies that are listed, they are quite open to um, dialoguing and you know, uh, and so on, and learning from what Oxfam is doing. And is it what's the um, the the benefits or costs of being an international NGO? Yeah. So, do they speak differently to Oxfam than they would to a local environmental yeah. group or a local? Uh, set of lawyers? Uh, yeah. Uh, so there, there is certainly some, and you know, this this varies from one country to the other. But there is there is there is some gravitas, you know, that comes with being an international organization that is well known, a brand that is well known, and has worked on these issues for for a while. Um, so if you're trying to get a meeting with, uh, say, you know, Italo or Total, it might be easier for Oxfam to get that meeting than a local, uh, you know, NGO with. Uh, but I'm the, assuming we go with the local partners, right? We don't yes, just march in yes, there. And, yes, and that, okay. that that's where I would say that part, uh, a small part of the value here for Oxfam is that you 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 open up, you know, the opportunities to access. Uh, uh, some of these companies or IFIs that can, you know, be, be, be can stonewall basically or just ignore and. Uh, um, and the uh, fact that we have Oxfam Canada in Canada, Oxfam America here, yeah, yeah, helps yeah. with that. Yeah, I guess. yeah, yeah, because the companies, most of the big ones at least, are, are registered in um, uh, their home countries are, you know, in Europe or North America. So it it helps in terms of you know the international advocate advocacy angle uh, so you while you're talking to them in country in Uganda or in Kenya you are also engaging with their headquarters uh, in France um, or in, 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 in the UK but there's an elephant in the room and we need yeah. to talk about it yeah. so China is becoming more and more important in oil and gas yeah. how do we go around advocacy or interacting with Chinese oil companies yeah um, so it, it, it's it's a tough one. Um, it's a tough one. It's 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 easier for I would imagine that it's easier for um, petroleum, so for oil and gas, um, because like I said yesterday, normally you have joint ventures, uh, so you've got other partners, and normally. Uh, so you talk to the Chinese companies' partners because that's yes, a way in. Yes, that's, okay. that can be a way in. Um, the other, but that, that's not the case for mining. Uh, and there's a huge mining sector, you know, where, where, where Chinese, Chinese companies are involved. Um, uh, so uh, for, for, for mining, the entry point that we've seen that could, you know, provide some, some uh, success is uh, the chamber, uh, chamber of mines for um, uh, Chinese companies. Uh, that's an entry point. So you target them. Chamber the mines industry. in the country. Yes, either in the country, uh, but also the Chinese. So there's a global chamber of mines, uh, you know, association 
uh, for Chinese mining companies. So that's another that's another entry well, point. Business association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So you you target the, the mining industry association, but that, that that's not to say that it's um, it's easy because, like I said, the points of leverage are just not the, um, you know, in terms of some international standards, um, they're just not there for, for for Chinese companies. So the issue of mandatory disclosure, for example, where companies are. Um, you know, European companies are required to disclose payments that they make to local governments uh, where they operate. Those points of leverage are not there for uh, for for Chinese I'm companies. I'm guessing is not a big issue in no, Chinese companies. Yeah, yeah, certainly not. Um, so, um, and this is where I think I think Oxfam has to, and not just Oxfam, but any actor really has to be. Uh, politically smart uh, in how you you engage with the sector. Um, so the strategies that you use uh, for you know for in the European company in terms of that international advocacy angle may not need to apply. You may need to uh, work more with with local actors, uh, uh, more more of you know community organizing and community mobilization and so on and so forth. Or uh, find entry points within national government you know i always say that it's it's, uh, it's sometimes we just you know say you know government is uh, is aligned with chinese interests but in some cases it's not necessarily a monolith so you find you have to be smart and find uh, entry points uh, and you know it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing but it's uh, you need to have your ear on the ground and uh, and do smart advocacy uh, but it's, it's not it's not easy it's 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 difficult the other way is anything to, easy so so the other way is to look at international initiatives this is what i've also felt like can be useful so international initiatives such as the kimberley process certification scheme that's for diamonds um, right yeah, yeah for okay. diamonds so where chinese companies are involved in diamonds you uh where you know that engaging them directly you're not going to get anything yeah uh, you you know target the international uh, international, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. or you know, possibly even the EITI uh, because that applies. So, once so this is the extractive industries transparency initiative, yes, all right, which yes, says that companies yeah. need to publish their royalties, exactly, okay. exactly. So, you you use, but it's not just about you know the publication, there's a whole uh, uh, issue around you know the multi stakeholder engagement around EITI. So, it's not just about the payments, but also about the process, yeah, yeah, process. So, you you then also find points of leverage in terms of in terms of process in relation to Chinese companies who would then still be required to publish if they're operating an, in an EITI compliant uh, country. So okay. various ways of going about it. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Gil, we're going to finish soon, but with a nice easy one. All right. Climate change. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you are starting from the position that um, countries uh, in Africa need to get this stuff out of the ground because they need the money yeah. and we've got to make the social impact of it as positive as possible. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that people listening to this who are terrified of what's happening to the world will be yeah. saying, well, why don't you leave it in the ground? And I know you have these kind of discussions. So yeah. Tell me what you think about this, leave it in the ground versus yeah. make the most of it. Yeah, I think for, for some of the assets, they'll definitely be, you know, we, we call it stranded. They'll definitely be stranded assets. What um, does that mean? So that, that means that they will not be developed uh, because um, of commitments in relation to uh, you know lowering emissions um, at global level. So some of the 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 big assets may actually not be 
developed or some yet to be discovered assets may not may not be developed. But that's a tragedy um, for the local yeah, yeah, potentially yeah. for the yeah, local economy, yeah, right? Yeah, that 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 could be a huge a huge there could be a huge impact for for local economies. So uh, I think for climate change what I would say is that uh, and I kind of referenced this yesterday that I think for for projects that are uh, you know kind of already on stream and so on and so forth uh, I, I, it would be very difficult to make the argument politically at least for most developing countries at least for most African countries to make the argument that let's leave uh, the resources in the ground huge developmental challenges uh, some have also argued that look we have not contributed to um, we are not, you know, at the causation end of climate change. Yeah. Uh, uh, but now we are being asked to pay, uh, and we've got a resource. We, you know, we need to pay for schools. Uh, we need to pay for hospitals and so on and so forth. So it'll be very difficult unless you've taken out all your oil and gas, and now you're exactly, telling us we can't. Exactly. Right? So it'll be very, very difficult unless you've got uh, another development alternative. Uh, and I'm not sure that you re renewables would you know, kind of usher in the same windfall uh, revenues um, uh, that you get from, you know, a big oil fine, for example. Uh, but also, there's also an interesting angle that, you know, broadly for extractives that uh, even as you transition from, you know, fossil fuels uh, and, you know, to clean energy, you'd still need uh, certain minerals, your, your lithium, your cobalt, uh, and so on and so forth. And these resources would still need to be developed. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is the extractive sector, even in a, you know, in a clean energy future, would still play you know, a, a key role. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gilbert, yeah. Gilbert McCorry, um, yeah. thanks so much for the yeah. time. I know this was supposed to be your day off, so I really <laughs> appreciate you coming in to no, do thanks. this. And uh, it's just incredibly exciting that yeah, Oxfam's yeah. got people as smart and politically savvy as oh, you. Thank you. Thank We're you very, very much. Lucky. Thank you very much. Uh, exciting conversation, yeah. Okay. All right, thanks.